Hello, and welcome to And Breathe, the podcast to help you understand more about the power of your breath. Each week, you'll hear experts and inspirational people from all walks of life share the stories and experiences that have changed their lives for the better. Throughout the podcast, we will be sharing tips on how our breath can help us through challenging times and how it's more than just an inhale and an exhale. Before we go any further, let's check in with our breath. Instead of worrying what has been, what is yet to come, ground yourself in the present moment and appreciate what is right here, right now. Take three deep breaths and notice how you feel in your body and your mind. If you're not feeling okay today, please give yourself a break. Sometimes it's okay to not be okay. Sometimes if all we do is to connect to our breath, that is enough. Now notice your thoughts and rather than judge them, just be. Try not to entertain them and let them float by and stay focused on your breath. The inhale and the exhale and just being rather than doing. Breathe in and breathe out. Breathe in and expand your belly as you inhale. Contract as you exhale. Using gentle, rhythmic, diaphragmatic breaths, slowing everything down. As you breathe in and out, you're coming more into your body and sending messages via the nervous system to come into a calm, relaxed state. So now we're fully present, let's begin. Before we meet our next guest, I would like to thank the sponsors of this podcast episode, Cloris. Cloris is a multi-award-winning premium CBD and natural wellness brand with a deep interest in nature and holistic well-being. Founded by three friends, it has risen the ranks to be considered one of the most loved and respected names in the UK, offering truly intelligent and CBD beauty and wellness products. Cloris is my go-to CBD oil because I find it really helps support the breath and the body system when I need to find that space of inner calm. My wonderful friends at Cloris have kindly offered 20% off the full range of their products to all and breathe listeners. Just go to cloris.co and use the code BREATHE. Now let's move on to the podcast. My guest this week is someone who needs several descriptions. She is a TV and radio presenter, starting out in TV at the age of 15 and going on to front primetime shows including Top of the Pops and Children in Need. She's also the author of best-selling books, produces her own clothing and home ranges, and has even climbed Kilimanjaro for charity. But most importantly, she's a hugely successful podcaster with an ever-growing and loyal Happy Place tribe. Fern has blazed the trail for podcasts. When she launched Happy Place in March 2018, it went straight to the top of the iTunes chart and has seemingly stayed there ever since. She has done so much to bring discussions about mental health into the mainstream, partly because Fern has also been honest about her own experiences with panic attacks and anxiety in the way that has helped the rest of us feel less alone and more understood. Fern's voice is instantly recognisable, whether from TV or the radio waves, or now on her Happy Place podcast. She has dedicated her recent career to continuing the conversation around mental health, 
And through that work, she asked me to contribute to her book, Calm, and run sessions at her Happy Place Festival, and we have become firm friends. Fern joins me to talk about her latest book, Speak Your Truth, the importance of setting boundaries, why we have to consider the link between mental and physical health, and her journey in her early 20s with eating disorders, something which we have both been through and wanted to bring to the front of the conversation today. I'm so grateful to the Fern for being such a beacon of light on so many subjects that require urgent attention and for giving a platform to so many voices who are passionate to make real change in the world. So welcome, Fern. Thank you so much, darling, for joining me today. Thank you for having me. How exciting. It's really exciting. It's very exciting to have you here. Slightly nerve wracking, seeing as you are the queen of podcasts. Oh, no, not at all. But I like to rise to a challenge and... Just for the Ambreathe audience, it's just amazing to have you on here. And I've been reading your book, uh, Speak Your Truth, and really want to dive quite deep into that today as well. But you and I first met, how many years ago was it? I think it was about four years ago because I was writing my book, Happy, and I was looking for great minds to contribute. And my um, publisher at the time, my editor who is now my literary agent was like oh my god you have to meet my friend Rebecca yeah and that was the start of a lovely friendship Mm. yeah lovely Millie we uh she was also my publisher at the time as well and so we have have a lot to thank her for and um yeah and you came to breathe with me and then you asked me to write in your first book and that was really when I think it was like I was in season two of the podcast wasn't I and Everything has just like grown massively, hasn't it, since then? Such a massive change in your direction, in your career and what you do and and how, I guess, your whole audience as well. And Happy has, it has, it's it's like its own entity now, isn't it? It's like its own little ecosystem. And I just want to say, actually, just a massive, massive thank you to you for everything that you've done, because just raising awareness on so many subjects that maybe don't have or haven't had quite the platform that you've created for so many people where I think it's just helped so many people that maybe feel have felt really alone or like that's just their thoughts and just bringing it you know like by you sharing your truth and bringing people on this platform that maybe people wouldn't have access to or would not even know how to find and them sharing their truth has just made everything just feel a lot more normal and a lot easier to talk about and go as far as saying, you know, has has transformed so many lives. So thank you so much for doing that. Oh my God. Well, it's it's an honour and a privilege to be able to have this conversation, quite frankly, and to be able to uh, engage with people that are also interested and curious about these subjects because I'm never coming from the point of view where I'm an expert. I'm just going along with everyone else going, oh my God, how do I cope better? How can I figure out what this means? And it's really exciting to share it and um, and to be going through that with a lot of other people feels really beautiful. So I'm really glad. And I think, you know, since we first met, so much has changed for me and you because it's become very apparent in the last, well, it's probably been rumbling on for a long time, but certainly in the last few years that people are feeling more stressed, more anxious, um, often more depressed and not feeling like they're coping. So we need more tools. We need more 
brilliant minds. I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about the experts that I collate and get on board with Happy Place. But we, we need more conversations where we can listen and learn so that we've got a better chance of navigating some wi- seriously weird stuff. So um, so I'm, I'm glad that both of us are kind of, you know, we're able to collaborate. We're able to, you know, you've also tipped me off about some amazing uh, other people who work in different areas who have helped me on other projects. And it's really nice. There's this sort of little unspoken family and we all share you know, advice or thoughts or friends uh, to help out on projects. And that's so exciting. That feels really good. Yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? That how um, these experiences, and I guess when we think about your honesty and how you first wrote in your book, Happy, about your feelings and your experiences with depression and you know really really honest account and it must have been sort of you know it's it's brave and it must have been quite scary as well in a way to kind of deliver that book to the world and wonder what people were going to say or what people were going to think because with social media now I imagine well obviously when you first started your career when you were 15 there wasn't social media so it was almost like this kind of being a little although you know, obviously you were on TV and it's a very, very young age to be on TV, but there wasn't that sort of extra noise of of people, you know, opinions are just, they're everywhere at the moment, aren't they? And everybody sort of wants to comment and and share and, and, and have a voice in, in that way. And some of it's really great and some of it's not so great and can be quite negative. And so you can have to be quite tough, don't you, with once, once you put those words out and once you put them in print and then how people will interpret them, how the press interprets it, how they jump onto stories and so on. You know, when we think about when you first came into the world of um, TV, when you were when you were 15, and then going into your 20s, when you started to just feel like it wasn't feeling like it was necessarily your, your comfort zone, or you were feeling like you needed to have a change. And, and you've spoken about anxiety and you've spoken about those feelings of anxiety, but you weren't experiencing anxiety when you were in your teens, weren't you? You were really quite loving no. it, weren't you? <clears throat> or, or really my 20s. I think mm. I managed to stay in um, the kind of fun and buoyant bit of TV, which I was really lucky to to have experienced because, you know, when I started in telly at 15, I was so fortunate that I was taken under the wing of these brilliant people, Maddie Darrell and Billy McQueen, who they still work together now. They create lots of big kids TV shows. And they were obviously working with a lot of presenters who were kids. And they were so wonderful and loving. They became our second family because we were away from home, obviously, quite a lot. And it didn't feel like this kind of awful, toxic environment of bitchiness or whatever it just felt really lovely and really fun and I had you know I'm still great friends with Maddie today we live not far from each other and she's always a a brilliant pillar of support if I need advice or whatever and if I think if I hadn't had that sort of nurturing when I first entered the world of TV I would have been in trouble a lot quicker Um, and then you know I was sort of working in that environment for quite a few years and then in my 20s I started to move more into kind of you know, more adult TV, like Top of the Pops and 
Love Island, I did the, one of the sort of first series of what was Love Island. It's very different to what it is today. Um, and it felt a lot scarier and I felt a lot less supported because I didn't have someone sort of checking in to see if I was dealing with everything okay. I was kind of out in the big wide world on my own at that point. But I don't think I was really processing much of it. If someone had a pop at me, if I was... Um, torn apart by male journalists, which happened relentlessly through my 20s because I was a mm. blonde, bubbly person on the radio and telly who was always joyful. You know, you're easily a uh, target in that way. So I was often called horrendous things by usually male journalists and talked about in a really personal and unwarranted way. And I did take on bored a lot of it and I, and I did start this sort of weird complex that I still deal with now like is there something wrong with me am I a bad person because my intent of course with everything is for it to be nice and fun or helpful or whatever and even though I wasn't working in you know talking about mental health back then I still wanted to, for people to feel happy when they were watching the stuff I was doing even if it was on a sort of entertainment level mm. um and I did take it on but I didn't have any manifestation uh, of it, so or so I, so I thought, but I was also, of course, dealing with an eating disorder throughout that whole decade. So it was it was manifesting in a different way. Whereas mm. today, luckily, I've kind of found some coping mechanisms, so I'm not using food or um, bulimia as a control method. But my anxiety is something that I have to still deal with and find ways to cope with it, and it's really debilitating at times. So. I think it's manifested in different ways over the years. But no, in my childhood and 20s, I didn't experience depression. There was no anxiety, no panic attacks. It was just the eating disorder was obviously a way of me dealing with the absurdity of what I was living through at times. You know, completely strange experience of life with with not much else in it. Because I worked relentlessly from 15 to 30 until I got pregnant. I did not take a break at all, ever. I maybe had a week off for a holiday here and there, but it was very rare. And I just, you know, I came from a working class background. I was hungry to succeed. I didn't want to take time off. So I didn't give myself any space to go, is this affecting me badly? <laughs> is this working for me? I didn't really stop to think about it. So some of it is probably a bit of a hangover from that as well, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think it's um, when you're being judged in that way and when people don't actually know you, but they're just writing something for a piece. I guess it's like we weren't necessarily talking about things like triggers or anxiety or it was it was it was more kind of acceptable for people to to behave like that or to speak about people like that as well. Whereas yeah. I'm not really acknowledging, you know, there was a real stigma around mental health anyway. So it's almost like it was just stuffed down. It was not something that you would admit to, or maybe even know that you were carrying anyway. So when would you say- No, I thought I was a bad person. I thought mm. I, it manifested with me going, like, I remember this one male journalist, I'd done this TV show with lovely Ben Shepherd, who's another of my neighbours. And we had done like a bungee jump, record-breaking event or something. We were doing a record-breaker show. And the guy's comment, and I know who it is, I'm not going to say his name, but the guy's comment, I was probably 25, and he had said that it was a terrible shame that my bungee rope hadn't snapped, basically alluding to me dying. And in that moment, I like if that was now, I'd go, what an arsehole. I mean, poor guy, mm -hmm. he's obviously deeply in pain himself. He's obviously not made peace with 
you know, who he is as a person and his own life and his own shortcomings or whatever it might be. And I would be able to process that today and then go, what a silly thing for him to to say out loud and to put in print in a paper. But instead, I processed it by going, I must be, there's something wrong with me. I must be irritating, annoying, an idiot. I just took on board by osmosis all this all this commentary and sort of I did lug it around but I didn't talk to anyone about it I didn't try and process it I certainly had never had therapy at that point Mm. I was just sort of lugging it about and then obviously using eating disorders as some sort of self-punishment or trying to improve myself by you know being tougher on myself I don't know psychologically it was really complex but it certainly took hold and you know, at times wasn't great. There was obviously some wonderful moments and amazing opportunities and interviewing brilliant people and, you know, working on dream shows that I had watched as a kid, like Children in Need and Top of the Pops and all of this stuff. But of course there comes along with that some real heavy baggage and, um, and and it's often hard to talk about because people go, oh, shut up moaning on the telly, like whatever, as if you've got anything to moan about. And it's like, Look, I know I have a great job and I've always had a great job, but it, it, that doesn't that doesn't eliminate feeling horrendous when someone says they want you to die in a newspaper in black ink that everybody can read. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take that away. So at times I sort of su- suffered in silence because I felt embarrassed to say, I feel absolutely devastated about this or like there's something, I'm faulty, there's something wrong with me. So I didn't, deal with any of it. And and I still deal with the repercussions of that now. I still, ha- you know, can tip into, oh, I'm not doing things right. I've got, I'm getting it wrong. Everyone hates me. You know, it's very easy for me to go to those places. So it, it's, it's taken its toll for sure. But, you know, I'm, I haven't got a thick skin. I'm not someone that is able to go, oh, I don't care about that. I'm just not made like that. So mm-hmm. I take it on board. Yeah. And I guess now this, what you, what you've created and what you and the happy place team have created is that you can do the gigs that you want to do, speak to the people that you want to speak to. And there is an element of in the work that you were doing before that there's, you're always having to put a mask on or you're always having to think slightly ahead about if I ask that question or if I reply in that way or how you're looking and all of those things which sort of come with the job because so many things can be judged and there can be opinions and and then there can be you know there's a maybe some of competitiveness as well about who's the next person that's going to be coming in to do a show and so on and it's like you like you've spoken in your book about being fired but not actually being told that you had been fired and it's just you're finding out because some someone else is presenting a program that you've been presenting for the last year and then it's just that that's that's like you say you haven't got a thick skin and it's just it feels like it's almost like very disposable and quite unstable and it's like you know you haven't you've come from you know like you say you've worked really hard your whole life haven't you and you've you've Mm -hmm. you've done this yourself it's not like it was laid on a plate for you to do it's something that you've worked really really hard at to do yeah and thank you so much for talking about the eating disorders and bulimia because again that's another I mean I I too fun so I you know for you sharing it so then I you know in that space I will share as well, which I don't really talk too much about either. But I I started with eating disorders from when I was 
really, really young, just binge eating. And, and then when I got to 13, 14, I just stopped eating. I was got very, very controlling around eating, lost loads and loads of weight because I was getting really teased at school. And then noticed like how people's opinions changed when I'd lost that weight and you can feel that control. I always remember my PE teacher really recognized, you know, I was, I was super fit. I was really good at sports and so on, but, you know, knew that there was something about this popularity that you had if you were, if you were thinner and how you would fit in. And then later on in my life, when I was in my twenties, I was bulimic as well. No one had a clue. And I managed to sort of deal with that myself. And I managed to stop that myself um, because it wasn't really any therapy and it wasn't really anything that no. you, know, you go and talk to people about. But eating disorders and, and being, you know, my 20 years of being a body and breath therapist and working with different clients and all different age groups, I think eating disorders has got to be one of the most complex of disorders. It's like a really complicated yeah. jigsaw where it's quite hard to find the pieces of the whys to the puzzle. And because it is so secretive and it doesn't necessarily, you know, when you're, when you're trying to track it back, I think I've, I've, I've finally almost got to this place, you know, just that thing around body image and, and how you eat and, and uh, when we when we know we're hungry or we're comfort eating and so on, but that that thing around control as well, it's very very complex. And and even even now today, I mean, so many girls and boys, you know, friends of mine, clients that come in, you know, with 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 children who have bulimia or anorexia or other eating disorders, it's still really prevalent, isn't it? around the globe, maybe yeah. even more, especially with men as well. And, you know, as well as women and not really something that's, that's discussed. I mean, it's, it's almost, it's quite scary, isn't it? When you think about what's happening in schools and you think about what's happening with young people and with social media and so on. And we think that we, we've come like really, really far, but then sometimes I think, have we? Because anxiety right. and depression and self-harm and it's at an all-time high. And yeah. so there is still that real toxicity about the way that people speak to each other, the way that people, you know, in schools, the way that when I hear about, you know, my friends and their daughters and so on, that what they have to go through with, I guess, social media again and and expectations and all of that, the pressure is just at an all-time high, isn't it? And like, it is. what do you, I mean, what do you think that, I mean, I think that there's there's a lot of people that are talking about it, but what's your opinion and what do you, what, yeah, I mean, because you, you must, you must get a lot of people that reach out to you as well, now that you've spoken yeah. about it. Yeah, and I think we have to get down to absolute like bare bone basics and look at how warped our mindset is around life in general and that so much of our focus, some of the time it will be all of our focus is on the exterior world. So it's, you know, who we think we are, what we have, what we don't have, who we hang out with, who our partner is and we try and create this like picture of who we are based on all this stuff out here. And we have totally forgotten to have an internal relationship with ourselves and to work out how we feel and the, the essence of who we are. And without all of that stuff that can change or be taken away, and there's so many variables with all of that stuff. So I don't even know how we begin to unpick it because we're so far down the line with that one. And, it, you know, 
potentially started thousands of years ago where there started to be sort of leaders in packs or rulers or kings. There was a hierarchy in society and all of Mm -hmm. a sudden you have an understanding of where you fit into it. So it's entrenched in our psyche, but we've really warped that now. Well, we've sort of morphed it into being so much about the visual and that's obviously because of social media. And I, I like social media because it's connective and wonderful and I'm able to do all of this work and you know, talk to people like yourself and all the other brilliant minds that I've met over the years. But it is changing how our brains work because we are imbibing so many visuals that we're not even aware that we're sort of processing them. We're just scrolling, looking or, you know, watching TV or picking up a magazine. And all of this imagery is is going in and we're not really thinking about putting any boundaries in place about what is going to work for us and what isn't. So we just like flood, you know, the gates are open. Just let all the info in, all the pictures, all the imagery, comparing yourself subconsciously the whole time to work out how you fit into it. Am I better or worse than them? Are they cooler or am I cooler? And all of this stuff that doesn't matter and doesn't mean anything. We've based so much of our self-esteem and our, our lives on this this sort of weird system and equation that doesn't really add up because you could have the shiniest, most gorgeous pop star who's so successful and everything's going brilliantly and they look a million dollars and they've got all the best clothes. They look like they're having a blast. You know, they've got a talent, blah, blah. But there, there is a potential for that person to still feel empty, numb, depressed, anxious. It can't eradicate any of that. We think it can. And that's the funny thing, because when I first wrote Happy, you know, luckily it resonated and people seemingly still like the book now. But of course, you have the odd person again saying, well, how how could you feel depressed? And it's like, well, just because I was doing radio and telly doesn't mean that I can divert from awful things happening, which, you know, I had some pretty traumatic stuff go down for me. I can't, that can't save me. Um, it can't negate stuff like that happening, whether it's, you know, wh- whatever it is, whatever trauma it is. Mm-hmm. And, but we believe this myth that if you look a certain way, have a certain lifestyle that you express, then you are safe. And if that was the case, why have we lost brilliant souls like Amy Winehouse and Robin Williams? Why? And Philip Seymour Hoffman. Why did they have to go? They ha- they had amazing careers, bursting with talent, looked incredible. It doesn't add up, but we're still believing in the myth. So there's so much to unpick and I don't even know how we do it or where we start. My only way of feeling like I'm helping is to talk about it. Because luckily with food, I have got to a point in my life where I want to feel good. The rest of it, I just don't even focus on. I want to feel good. I want to have energy. I don't want to feel weak or sick or run down. I want to feel... um, I want to feel like there's vitality and I don't think we give enough attention to vitality, what that feels like, what that means in our lives. We're Mm -hmm. so focused on how much you weigh, what size you are, what shape you are. Are you the shape that's trendy at the moment? Because that's ever changing. And it's just madness. You know, we'll we'll never, ever feel self-acceptance or peace if we're chasing this elusive dream. We've got to go in and 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 look for that vitality and what it feels like and it will be different for everybody and it's hard to perhaps preach that or talk about that with young people because you know what 
I remember being a teenager. You want to look like your mates. You want to be in a gang. You want to look like your favourite pop star. You fancy the boy who's the popular boy or the popular girl and you want to get with them and you think you've got to do a certain amount of things to get that. I get it. It's it's not something you necessarily want to hear at that age. But and I'm, I don't want to be patronising because there's loads of young people that don't need this chat. They're like, look, I'm cool with how I am and I'm I'm doing brilliantly, probably more so than ever. We've got amazing maverick young people doing that. But the culture is still there that you have to look a certain way to be celebrated and we can quantify celebration because we've got likes. Yeah. And that's dangerous. And and I think that's, you know, there's 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 two really important points there. And when you talk about feeling and vitality and feeling healthy and feeling good in your body, and when I can think about talking to my my teenage self, my 20 year old self. And and in those times, you're not really thinking ahead. You're not really thinking about the years to come and kind of how that is going to affect you and your health later on in life. And, you know, when I had a bit of a health scare a few years ago, it really gave me just the really big kick up my ass to take even more care of my body, what I was eating the stress maybe I was putting on my body, how I was exercising, how I was moving, just really like listening in to that as well. And, you know, like you say, social media can be so brilliant in so many ways to communicate and help people to connect, but it can also make people feel really disconnected. It can also be it's a good way for people to distract and to numb out yeah. um, and also go into that awful sort of compare and despair mode as well. And um more and more it's just like you say just very primarily going back from you know centuries and centuries of what makes you attract a partner and you know just that or what makes you be a be an attractive part to the tribe and so on but how we can try to collectively change the script and try you know feed that one down because it's like you know young people little kids they all mirror and they all mimic us and they pick up that language and so on you know I sometimes when my boy comes home from school and like stuff that he said you know like just little words or phrases and I'm like where did that come from because that didn't come from this house and it's just it's so you know it's just so easy for them to just pick that stuff up about how the way, the way they hard. look, about how other people look and so on. And so it feels like there's a real duty for us as, as elders, as, as adults as well, just to be so aware of the effect that it can have on younger people as well, yeah. how we judge ourselves yeah. and how we judge others. I mean, we all, I think we all do, you know, this isn't a conversation exclusively for young people because although you yeah. are so sponge-like at that age and you take on so much of what's around you, you know, I, I still get sucked into that trap now at the age of 40. And I'll talk to my friends about this as well. You know, if we feel like we're failing as parents and other people look like they're doing it better, mm. or we feel like we're failing at work because other people are stepping up and doing more or whatever it is. And again, we need to sort of change the narrative there because, you know, you have to define what success or not even success, what, what your flow is and what that feels like. And it's not going to be the same as your best mate or your next door neighbor or one of your peers at work. It's going to be what's right for you. And I know that that's easier said than done because we might be on deadlines. We might have people that are giving us hell at work for not matching a standard that they believe is right. But I think the only way we'll feel a sense of peace is working out what it means for us. And it will be different for everyone. Like 
I am a very energetic, fidgety person. And unless I am creating, and that doesn't mean like creating something grand or a masterpiece. I mean, just like having ideas, brainstorming, could be drawing, could be writing, could be just talking. Unless I'm in that creative flow, I could get very, very down. And I know that. So I am able to do a lot of work. And I feel very lucky that that is my nature, that I sometimes have to stop myself because I'm just on this roll of wanting to try new things like a little excited puppy dog. But for some people, their flow is calmer, more paced out, moments of pause. There's no right or wrong. Like we, again, have been tricked into thinking that speed is everything, how mm. quick you can do things and how much you can do. I just happen to be able to work on a lot of projects because I'm a fidget and my brain doesn't stop worrying. But some some other people might work at a slower pace but create something so unique and game-changing there's no right or wrong or you might just really enjoy your life and enjoy moments of idleness where you're appreciating the moment that's probably more important than anything quite frankly Mm -hmm. but again we've been so tricked into sort of busyness equals you're amazing and anything else is lazy which is so toxic because we're all at overwhelm we're all at burnout and we're all looking in the other lanes at what everyone else is doing so there's so much of today's society that is just systematically wrong um, that I, I I don't even know where to start with it because we're, we've been indoctrinated and brainwashed to some extent with this stuff to keep everybody in a loop of wanting and needing and desire and wanting to either buy stuff or the whole notion of like self-improvement, which I am not on board with whatsoever because yeah. that again is a dangerous road to walk down. You know, we don't need to improve yeah, because it's just like you're not enough. You can you can be yeah. your best version of yourself because you're not you're not there yet, sort of thing. Yeah, like that's a silly thing for us to want. Our, you know, you can of course make changes that make you feel good. Whether it's you might want to drink less, or you might want to take a walk in the middle of the day or your lunch break. Like you can do nice things that make you feel better. But to assume that you can improve yourself as a person and then you're going to feel complete or content. I think that's a really slippery slope for all of us. And at times I've walked down that slope and then been highly disappointed because you go, ah, I still feel all this stuff that I've been feeling for years. I've still got all the same problems or baggage or concerns. It's just about acceptance, self-acceptance. Yeah. And there's stuff around slowing down because like you say, we're all wired differently. So some of us can, like you say, we can all work at different paces and we just, you know, and we can all find that way maybe to, you know, I was running a breath session last night and it was so lovely because we're on week three of this course now. And then the sharings where people were just saying, I have where they had no awareness of how the breath just helped them to calm down the nervous system so that when stressful situations were coming up, that they were just so surprised with how they could deal with it so much more easily because they weren't feeling that flight or fight or that pressure to perform or to do or to get the answer or to be reactive and so on. And, you know, in that way, when we're sort of saying slowing down, let let that be like that, the biggest act of rebellion that we can do right now, because sometimes things can feel really overwhelming and it's just like, well, it's all very well telling us to slow down, but we've got jobs and we've got bills to pay and I'm worried about how I'm going to pay the rent and you know, look after the kids and so on. And I've got a really irate boss who's like on me and texting me at nine at night. And if I don't reply then, you know, all of those things. So it's all very well for us to say, you know, slowing down is a good idea. 
but it's just actually how you can slow down how it affects your nervous system inside and how you can take those pauses and how you can just notice if you're rushing to do the next thing or rushing in to get that answer or you know, your speed sort of thinking you're not, you know, that the conversation that you're having, you're already having another conversation and you haven't really heard that question and so on. And, and, you know, the irony I think is this like slowing down can actually make you more productive and help you to get things yeah. done so much more quickly as well, can't it? And, yeah. and in that way that people are wired really differently. I mean, it's like, you know, you are able to get an awful lot of stuff done and you really thrive on that and you're very creative and there's ideas popping up and that's what that's what really makes you buzz as well. But then sometimes the body is a bit like, uh, could you just yeah. stop there, please? And But also, you know, I, I have to put it into context with how the rest of my life works. Mm. I am a very simple person these days. I I know what my boundaries are and when I'm heading to overwhelm. And that means often I don't really go out so much. I don't really socialize that much. I might have a little bit of dinner with two friends maximum. I don't like huge big things. I'll go to the odd party, obviously, if it's like my best friends or family and there's a celebration. But I'm not out every Friday night. I I, I have to... I, I expel my energy with the like the creative stuff because it makes me feel amazing. And then I go to bed at half nine and I have to be on my own reading a book to recalibrate and to slow the hell down to get ready for sleep. So, you know, it doesn't come without whether you call it sacrifice or your own personal choices. I have to have all that in place to make sure that I can then do the fun creative bit in the day. So I have my slow moments. They're just sort of Mm. private, quiet ones where other people might be out doing stuff or, you know, in the evenings, I pretty much just shut down. I'm I'm not up for doing anything. I find it really hard to feel mentally motivated to do anything at that time of day. So, you know, my slowing down kind of works for me at the moment and then I can use all that creative energy elsewhere. But, you know, of course, the balance tips quite often because I'm so overexcitable about things and I will say yes to too many things because... Mm-hmm. I love it. And also I've still got that like working class thing of better not say no, because it might not be another opportunity. And, you know, then I get to, oh my God, and I haven't told the kids to do their homework and honey hasn't learned her spellings. I forgot Rex's shin pads. And and then I spiral into I'm failing. I can't cope. I'm useless. I'll start beating myself up. So I have to really watch that because I can go into that headspace very quickly. Yeah, it's creating boundaries, isn't it, is so, so important. And, you know, like you say, you have to almost like choose your yeses and be brave enough sometimes to say no and then just check if, you know, and also just feel it's okay sometimes to go back and say, I know I said yes to that, but I realise I really can't do that because otherwise you feel like you're doing everything half. I know. I've done it. I just did it today. Like I was meant to go to a friend's thing tomorrow night and I said yes really hoping that I would go and then you know as the week's gone on and it's been incredibly jam-packed this week I know that I'm heading towards a weekend burnout and my husband's not around Saturday so I've got the kids on my own and I want to be a parent that is not going to be like moody and finding everything really hard so I've had to send a text saying look I'm, I'm not going to make it I'm really sorry I'm just my energy's low and I'm just honest about it. And 
you know, their reaction will be what their reaction is. It might be like, oh, you flake, or it might be, look, I get it, don't worry, it's cool. But I've got to go with it because I know it's best for me. And I think it's that thing about with, um, there were so many lessons, weren't there, with lockdown. In in many ways, it was like you were in this little bubble and you didn't have to sort of say yes or no to anyone because we couldn't Heaven. really go and see anyone. Um <laughs> And so you had to, you know, had to just be in, be in your little, your little bubble. So in many ways, I think that was just like a real reset for so many people's nervous system, wasn't it? Yeah. Just noticing like, oh my God. So I was before I was going here and there and taking two hours to commute to have a meeting when I could have actually just done it on a Zoom call and, you know, and tiring myself out and rushing from A to B in this way and so on. So there were lots and lots of lessons weren't there to be learned during that time. But then also as soon as the doors opened, it's like there's this mass rush, isn't there, for everybody to kind of, I mean, I don't know if you can feel it, you probably can, but like, yeah. you know, it's like November to December. It's just every, you know, it's just, oh, it's gone just, full on crazy again, hasn't it? And it's very... And I'm an introvert, you know, I need to be at home on my own. Like I get drained socializing I you know I went out for dinner last night with two of my great like my best mates in the world and we had a brilliant couple of hours I was like right you're booking dinner for half six because I hate staying out late so we ate really early and by nine I was like guys I have to go home now I'm really sorry I have loved every second of being with you but I'm feeling myself get to that point where I'm 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 done like I I have to retreat and my best mates know me well enough to not take offense with that but I, I know myself so much better than I did in my 20s where I pushed through that and like drank and all sorts to try and be social. But I love being at home. I love being mm-hmm. quiet. And I'm really at peace with that these days. I don't feel like I'm missing out. I don't feel like I'm being a party pooper. I'm really happy at home. Me too. Me too. Nine feels like it's quite late. It's oh, that's so that's late. Especially when it's dark as well. It's definitely time oh. to come home. I know. I so- could go to bed now. <laughs> 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 I'm even joking. <laughs> so just coming to your book, Speak Your Truth, which I really, really enjoyed every single chapter listening to it. And um, obviously, you know, you, sh- you share a lot in there. I just think it, it's it's such a brilliant read. How you came to it was when you started having these issues, didn't you, with your throat? Yeah, it was just before um, the pandemic. So yeah, it was early 2020. And I... I knew I had to write another book and I was like, I just don't know what is going to really make my heart sing and is going to get me curious and interested. And I was sort of brainstorming and having some sort of creative sessions, working out what the next sort of thematic chapter would be for me. And then I lost my voice really badly over Christmas of 2019 to 2020. And I couldn't work, you know, because I couldn't I couldn't do podcasts for a couple of months. I could couldn't do radio and my voiceover work I couldn't do. It was horrible to listen to my voice. It was completely broken and scratchy. And I was just like, this isn't going. Like, what is this? What's going on? So I went to see a doctor who referred me to a throat specialist who put a camera down my nose, which was highly uncomfortable. And this huge cyst came into view on the big screen in front of me, perched neatly on my vocal cords. So my vocal cords weren't shutting. They were just lots of air was racing through my vocal cords every time I opened my mouth. And he was like, look, you're going to have to have an operation. You won't be able to to talk for, for a couple of weeks and you're going to have to do some training to get back to being able to talk again. And um, luckily, I wasn't too freaked out. I was just sort of 
completely curious about the whole thing. And I got in a in a cab on the way home. I sat there and thought, why is this happening? Like, this is so interesting. Why there? Why are my vocal cords? What is this about? And instantaneously, I was just like, I know. I know what this is. I'm not saying what I want to say. And not in a way like, you listen here, everyone. I've got shit to say. It was more little moments of, you know what? That's not okay for me. I, I feel... I can't do that for you right now is a, is a big one for me because obviously I get asked by a lot of people for help or um, collaboration or whatever. And I deeply want to help and I want to collaborate with great people, but I was doing it to my detriment without any break or concern for how it was leaving me. And also little moments like even sort of being in a taxi and someone having the aircon on and I'm freezing and I'm too scared to say, oh, do you mind? I'm just a bit cold. Can you turn it down? I found that sort of interaction impossible. And I don't know why or what from my past got me to that place. It obviously spilled into the bigger moments of life with relationship dynamics I'd had in the past, tricky dynamics with other people where I felt there was injustice or I hadn't been able to put my side of the story across um, and in huge moments that had floored me. It went from the tiny in the cab, the air cons on to I'm depressed. I don't know how to cope with life. And all these words felt like they were trapped in this tiny nugget on my vocal cords. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the book flew out of me because I was like, I know, I know all the stuff I haven't said. I know why I haven't said it. And I know there's loads of people out there like me that feel the same. And I'm a communicator for a living. I've always done this, but not honestly, not always honestly now, obviously, honestly, but not always honestly. And it just led to me getting to a place where I could explore that with curiosity and a little bit of courage. And, um, I don't know if I should spoil the end of the book or not Right at this point. You can edit it out. But I did all this great stuff and wrote the book and then it disappeared on its own. I didn't have to have the operation, which, which felt is amazing, kind of miraculous. It? Yeah. yeah, it was mad. And the, the percentage is like tiny, like 3% of people have that where it goes on its own. Mm. or so. It's a tiny percentage of people. And some people might say, hold on, that sounds a bit wacky or a bit out there that you're saying. I like wacky. I'm down with wacky. (laughs) But, you know, it's when we think about all the times when we hold back, you know, expressing ourselves, swallowing our words, trying to say the right thing. We do clench the jaw, the throat tightens, even the hips, like the the connection that we have with the pelvis and the hips, you know, like the glutes, our hips tense as well, as well as the jaw and as well as the throat. And over time, when there's loads of cortisol that's pumping around and adrenaline and so on and stress, then it's going to create stress on our physiology and the muscles and our vocal cords. And and science does or is really starting to back that up as well. Oh, without a doubt. Like, you know, there are brilliant out there stories about this sort of stuff, but there's also amazing people like Dr. Joe Dispenza who Mm. have based their life's work on promoting this stuff you know someone who kind of healed parts of his life by looking at that exact connection of uh either cognitive or yeah I guess a more cognitive mental stress and how it impacts our physical bodies and how it manifests and that we're sort of ignoring that so yeah I think some of these stories can sound out there and people go oh yeah good for you whatever you know that that's just a load of bollocks or whatever but 
there will be things that are happening with our bodies that are purely connected to, you know, mental trauma. Not easy stuff. It's not easy to do this stuff. But, you know, deep trauma, you know, my panic attacks are a physical manifestation of PTSD. And I haven't Mm -hmm. overcome that. I haven't been able to go, I'm going to let that go. I know this is hard, but I also believe that it works because Mm -hmm. I've had this one amazing situation with my vocal cords. And, you know, Dr. Joe Dispenza and who's the other guy, Greg Braden, um, does a lot of work on this as well. And, you know, there's loads of people looking into to this stuff with science backing it up, but it's yeah. often seen as an out there kind of story. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm completely on board with you. And I think it's just something that's not, I mean, it's so much more spoken about now. And it's in the way that, you know, when people feel anxious, you can, or when you're feeling angry or if you're feeling nervous or if you're feeling a panic attack and so on, like you say, it's a physical manifestation. There's no disconnect. There is a, you know, from the, our psychology and our physiology is deeply interconnected. And that's why it's so important to be as you say, to be able to express our voice, to be able to express our truth, you know, to be who we truly are and to have that deep understanding and awareness of our feelings because so often we will just stuff them down and maybe you'll feel it in the manifestation of like a knots in your tummy or you might feel a tightness in your chest or you might have IBS or constipation and, you know, all of these things are proven to be connected to stress and and trauma and so on and how you know if you've had a long day if you've had a tense day you might hold tension in the shoulders and so on so it's just that thing about re- you know remembering that our body is connected our mind and our bodies are they're not two different things you know they are they're both deep you know they're both connected and there's so much intelligence in the gut and there's so much intelligence in the heart as well and sometimes we're just not stopping and pausing no to really listen in to like, how's that feeling right now? Or I can't express that because that's making me feel really angry, but I've just got to be, I've just got to stop and I've just got to smile and I've just got to grit my teeth and just pretend that that it's it's all okay and so on. So we're just stuffing, stuffing all of that stuff down. It's so important to speak about this stuff and just to have that that deeper understanding. And, it, and it's really empowering as well to know that we actually can you know, our bodies are miracles, right? I mean, we like, you know, yeah. we give our bodies a really hard time, really critical of sometimes like how we look in the mirror and we look at things that, we, that we're judging that we don't necessarily like. But, you know, the way that our cells repair overnight, how the nervous system is and how the breath is communicating to all of the systems in the body, we can make some really, really transformative changes if we just stop, pause and, and listen in. Yeah. And we're not encouraged to do that. (laughs) You know, we're encouraged to like for everything to keep running really quickly. And we've normalized the speed of life. And it's, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy how fast we're moving now. And it's completely normal. Like if I even think back to in the early 2000s when I was working a lot and I was traveling all over the place, but I had a much slower life, you know, on days off, I didn't plan anything. I would just sort of potter around. I didn't feel guilty about it. I didn't have loads of WhatsApp messages or I'm not even sure I had a laptop. I think I just had a desktop at this point. So I'd barely even check my emails. And I would just sort of have that time being on my own and going to the shops, you know, getting some bread and doodling back. And it was slower. And it's just this last sort of 10 years have gone super speed. And um, 
we've got to watch it. I don't know how, but we've got to we've got to check in and see how it's making us feel. Yeah, I think talking about it is a really good starting block, isn't it? And just yeah, fessing up and owning, you know, owning up to it as well and doing what we can to not sort of get caught up in the busyness of it all and just to just to have those pauses. I mean, where, where is your happy place? It is at home, really. Mm. I And, you know, I think a lot of that is tied into a feeling of safety. And I'm not sure if that's a good thing or not. I My anxiety usually comes from a place of feeling like there's there's vulnerability and, I, and I'm not safe. So I can get, you know, if we go on holiday, not that we have for a long time, but if we're on a holiday, I will spend the first two days checking every single lock on windows, locks on doors. I need to feel like I am safe, the kids are safe, and, I, and I've done everything I can to, it. like silly little things like that I get very obsessive about. So when I'm at home and I know the layout and I know, you know, my kids are in the house and we're all there together and there's an element of safety, I feel relaxed. Mm-hmm. I don't feel, and I didn't used to be like this. You know, in my 20s, I was all over the shop and having a wild time and I didn't feel, you know, nervous or scared or, I've, you know, like most people in their 20s, if you're lucky enough to have had health prior to that point, you do feel a bit invincible. Like, yeah, I'm fine. I can do whatever. I can walk home on my own at four in the morning or, you know, get super drunk or not sleep and go straight to work. And you just don't think about the consequences. So I I, I used to be fearless. And now I don't, like most people with life experience, you lose people, might be friends, family members. You know, we've all had a pretty rough time of that, I'm sure, recently. And it's it's... I just want to feel safe and I feel safe at home. I feel all right when I'm at home. I feel like there are less variables. And and again, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing because I sometimes I wonder if I've retreated too much. But yeah, I feel the most relaxed at home than I do anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And then where would you say I think that- also like my other happy place is being by the sea, I have to point out. And yeah. that is like a connection thing. That is pure happiness connection I'm with I'm with I'm I'm in nature. I'm seeing this miraculous movement of a wave like that for me is is happy. Yeah, something about being with the elements, isn't it? Being yeah. with that vast expansive ocean where all of a sudden you realize that we are there's so much more out there and it's just you know, I've just just being able to watch a beautiful sunset is just something that immediately is going to calm the nervous system, isn't it? When you're in that space, when you're in nature. I mean, it's, I don't think I know anyone that's had a panic attack watching a sunset, for example. And it's just, you know, so it's just, it's so important, isn't it? To get ourselves in nature and, and to create this, you know, like you say, this inner sanctuary, but the sanctuary of your home as well. It's, it's really, really important. And Mm. what would your older self say to your younger self? You know what? It's a really interesting question because often we think that the older version of us would give the younger version of us advice. But I almost think it should be the other way around with me sometimes because the younger me was so much more willing to take risks and not risks that led to any danger, but risks that allowed me to put myself out there and not be so worried. And 
the younger me lent into joy much more easily without worrying it was going to end or that I was foolish to do so. And the younger me cared less about stuff that doesn't really matter, didn't kind of let, I guess, too much drag me down at that point. So I feel like the younger me needs to give a bit of that energy to the to the 40-year-old me now, who's obviously had a hell of a lot more life experience, but needs mm. to not forget that younger version of myself. But for ages, I tried to reject. I was like, I don't like her, don't want her around. She's stupid, she's foolish, all that stuff. But I, I'm, I look to the younger version of me now and think, you know, good on you, you work really hard. And yes, you were naive. And yes, of course, like everybody, you made mistakes, but you didn't give up and you kept trying and you had some really beautiful times because you lent into to joy and new experiences. And I need to be a bit more like her. Mm, I love that. I really do. I really like that perspective of it as well. There's definitely more of a sort of a fearlessness, isn't there? Yeah, when there is. And when you're younger and sometimes I miss it's just, it. Yeah, yeah. Well, darling, I mean, I know that you've got to, um, you've got your next gig and you've got a busy evening tonight and I could chat with you. Um, well, we do chat a lot anyway, don't we? But it's really nice <laughs> to know, have this will this be continued on voice note. Yeah, it's I'm just sure. really nice to have, just have this time just to... It's uh, so nice. Yeah, to have you. Um, and thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. But um, Of course. Yeah, I mean, I just, I love your book. I love all your books. And, um, and also, you know, to be part of the Happy Books and for Let It Go to be there, that's just been such a joy as well. So thank you so much for that too. Well, I'm so um, grateful. This is the least I can do. You know, you've helped me out so much over the years personally and in a sense of with work and collaboration. So this is the least and it's a joy to be part of your podcast. So thank you for having yeah, me. Yeah, well, you know what, Fern, as well, it's just, you know, when we talk about anxiety and, and when I think about the first time that I ever did alive with you I think it was with stylist wasn't it and there I was being the breath coach yes. so really having to hold it together and kind of not look anxious at all and then my thing was always you know doing like lives was always was something that would always make my solar plexus just pulsate that little bit <laughs> faster and then I just got to hold it together and not you know not look like I'm nervous at all and and, and and since then, you know, I've done stuff on TV and radio and so on, but you made me feel so, so comfortable and so at home. So I'm just really grateful for that. And I don't think you ever I'm knew so that glad. either, because I think I was just I'm like so hiding glad. it really well. So you were, yeah. I mean, very professionally <laughs> so, because it was a beautiful <laughs> session that loads of people yeah. enjoyed. So amazing. I, bre I, bre I breathed. I used the breath for that one. That's for sure. <laughs> um, anyway, so my good. lovely, have a beautiful day. And thank, thank you, you so, so much. So that's all we have time for this week on the And Breathe podcast. Thank you so much for listening and I really hoped you enjoyed it. I would love to hear from you and get your thoughts on the episode so please do comment and rate wherever you listen to your podcasts and don't forget to follow the show as well. You've been listening to the And Breathe podcast presented by me, Rebecca Dennis and produced by One Fine Play. For more breathing tips and advice please go to www.breathingtree.co.uk you can also find me on Instagram at breathing.tree. There's lots of free information, books, offerings, workshops, retreats to empower you with your breath. Every day we can change our state of being and every breath is an opportunity to live this life fully.
and be present in every moment. So always remember to be kind, be present and breathe.